Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters. This program is produced and recorded in the studios of WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. In previous episodes of the podcast, we've discussed the role that technology plays in helping and also distracting students from learning. The promise and problems of technology will only increase as technology continues to evolve. My guest today is Dr. Abraham Flanagan, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Curriculum, Foundations, and Reading at Georgia Southern University. Abraham has been actively researching the topic of digital distractions for a number of years, and we're happy to welcome him into the studio today to get his reflections on the topic. Abe, welcome. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. So you have been researching uh, digital distractions uh, going all the way back to your PhD program. I think people intuitively knows what that word means but because you've been researching it in more of a precise way what are some of the things that you would point to to sort of define the scope of what digital distractions could mean in the context of a classroom and and for students as they try to learn material sure yeah so when we say digital distractions um, broadly referring to any use of mobile technology so typically smartphones laptops but as technology has grown, you know, with smart watches, um, any kind of device that students would bring with them into the classroom that would distract them. And so um, that can be kind of a, I mean, that can also be broad in that, you know, texting, um, surfing the internet for social media use, anything that where kind of violates the promise that technology can be used for learning um, because it can also derail student motivation, um, their on-task behaviors, because your students' learning takes place in this context where um, their attention, be it either on a lecture or a class activity, um, is always being competed with because of the presence of mobile technology. I've got my cell phone sitting right here. Um, you've got your sitting right there. It's, they're always within arm's reach. So digital distractions refer to um, any off-task use of mobile technology uh, for off-task purposes in the classroom, be it for texting, um, scrolling through social media, mm-hmm. um, or sending instant messages to people inside or outside of the classroom. Any of those kinds of uh, digitally-based activities mm-hmm. uh, that can derail student motivation or attention during class. And, and as you mentioned, it's not just uh, cell phones, but now it's other types of wearables like watches, students bringing laptops to classes. I mean, the number of potential dis- digital distractions for a given student in a given class is multiple, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I would assume that that also uh, you know, expands to the fact that I may not be distracted by my own devices, but I'm looking at the student in front of me and what they're doing and being mm-hmm. distracted by that. Um, so when I, I, I mean, you've been teaching for a number of years now, and then you've also read the literature on digital distractions. I guess you know you've already used some examples of students using social media, but when you're standing at the front of the classroom and teaching a class, what are some visible signs that you see as a teacher that let you know that that's happening in the classroom? The biggest thing for me is if a student's body language and their activity or behavior doesn't line up with the rhythm with the rhythm of the class. And so by that, I mean, if you've got a student who's looking at his or her laptop and you know, they're writing feverishly at a time when I'm not saying very much or nobody else in the class yeah. is saying much, if they're looking down at their screen the whole time, still typing, but if I'm writing something on the board or showing something on a screen that they need to actually look at in order to take down and they never glance up, like the rhythm of their actions mm-hmm. isn't lining up with what's going on in the classroom. And so you'll see that. Um, for students who are on laptops, and you can't see through the screen. Mm-hmm. 
and so I always make a point to walk around in my classes but you know if you come up upon a student and they see you coming you know they can easily click over to Microsoft Word or Google Doc whatever word it, it was that they were using to take notes with and so for me that biggest cue is is a student's body language do their actions actually jibe with what's going on in the classroom and if they're not then that's probably a good sign that they're using their devices for purposes that we probably wouldn't want them to be doing them for in class. And, and that's really interesting the way you sort of described um, some of those initial cues non-verbally that you see. On the flip side of that, as a teacher, can you watch a student as they're you know engaging with their device and kind of clue in that, okay, they're doing something that is they're on task, you know, whatever they're doing with their laptop or whatever they're being on task right now. I mean, have you witnessed anything that would, you know, also be the nonverbal cues of doing it the right way in class? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it would just kind of be the opposite of what I mentioned with their body rhythm. So is mm -hmm. it lining up with what I'm doing? Are they, you know, looking up at the board um, at the appropriate times when information is being shown? And I don't actually, I don't use the board a lot. Yeah. And so to keep citing that probably wouldn't be accurate for my classrooms. But as I'm walking around the room talking or writing jotting down a quick example on the class or, or on the board to a quick definition or term that I want them to take down if they're attending to that if um, you know their eyes are scanning the room if they're partaking taking part in like the little group discussions or think pair shares that I do in my classroom mm -hmm. an on task student d looks pretty similar whether they're on their laptop or if they're just taking notes longhand paper pencil style you know, they're going to be interacting with me, answering, responding to questions, um, asking questions, interacting mm -hmm. with their with their classmates. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like an on-task student, regardless if they have technology in front of them or not, their behaviors are going to look the same whether or not they've got a laptop or if they've got a notebook in front of them. Mm -hmm. And so those kind of verbal cues that you get from kind of that stellar student um, sitting in the front row or wherever they're sitting, that kind of attentive, on-task behavior. It's always gonna look the same. The problem becomes when you've got those students who maybe traditionally might've been paying attention, maybe not the most motivated student, but just kind of hanging around kind of by, you know, not as motivated, but now they've got a laptop or a cell phone in front of them, when previously maybe you might've been able to keep their gaze because they didn't have much else to do in the class besides pay attention to you, besides maybe doodle or stare out the room. But now you introduce mobile technology into the classroom, and those students who are more passive, my sense both as an instructor and of working and talking with students in the past, suggest that those are the students who might tend to be more vulnerable, the more passive type, mm -hmm. who would be more vulnerable to succumb to digital distraction. Because mm -hmm. now you've got me, which I try to be as engaging as I can as any instructor would, um, and their devices, both readily available. They can either pay attention to me or they can look at their device. But the research shows that students view just about any leisure activity as inherently more enjoyable <laughs> than paying attention during class. Sure. And so that wasn't always the case with doodling or staring at the window or daydreaming. Yeah. But now students consistently have access to activities, and those activities are boundless, mm -hmm. through their phone or their laptop, they're much more entertaining than I probably am even on my best day. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not as entertaining as their Twitter feed or keeping up with their friends' pictures on Instagram or whatever it might be. And so those students who weren't traditionally giving a lot of attentive behaviors anyway, at least behaviorally, but still paying attention 
maybe jotting things down, but they just weren't the most enthusiastic learners. Mm-hmm. Now those students, you know, it's tough to tell if you've got them or not because um, if they've got a laptop in front of them and their gaze shifts back between you and the laptop, you and the laptop, it's tough to determine, you know, does that student pay attention to me or are they kind of in and out, in and out, in and out? And so those students, I think, are the most difficult to read. Your really enthusiastic student is always going to be enthusiastic. Um, your kind of more apathetic student who's, you know, sits in the back, never really pays attention a whole lot. Those two groups of students, their behaviors are going to be pretty similar. But it's the, you know, the student in the middle who might be a little more passive, who I think is more difficult to read, and who's probably more at risk to digital distraction than your superstar student or your more apathetic student. Because yeah, that's really interesting because I, you know, it strikes me as you're describing all of that that you're right that the markers that we used to have as teachers about whether a student is mentally present in class or not um, it, it's so much more subtle now mm-hmm. and it also as you pointed out it differs depending upon the student themselves you know as to how you're going to read that as a teacher and you know what's interesting about it is that um, at, at least you know in my own experience we don't really talk about that because it's really ill-defined on what advice you would give the teacher but um, I you know some of the markers non-verbally that you talk about I think are really interesting uh, let's switch gears um, just a little bit I mean the, the the crux of the research that you've been doing that I find really fascinating for this topic is looking not just at the issue of digital distraction that a lot of people are looking at. We know what happens and you're trying to account for, you know, some of the ways that that has an effect on the students learning in the classroom. And you've specifically been looking at issues related to note taking um, in relation to digital distraction, but maybe not in the way that people would expect. So can you talk about some of your recent research that is looking at the use of laptops, how students take notes, and let's start with sort of a really quick summary and then I'll dive into some more specific questions Mm -hmm. related to it. Sure, yeah, so there's been, like you said, a lot of research that has basically quantified the problem. We know that students are using their devices a lot during class. We know that laptop users spend on average like 40 to 60 percent of a typical class period using their laptop for off-task purposes. Over 90 percent of students bring a smartphone to class and at least on occasion during a typical class period send text messages. So we know that it happens, we know that it happens a lot. And so the research related to note taking was to kind of look like, to look at the impact that digital distraction has on note taking, which is seen by most students as like the holy grail mm-hmm. of uh, learning strategies. You know, more than 90%, I think it's like, I think I saw a study that was published in, I think earlier this year, um, and they surveyed college students from a bunch of different universities about what strategies to use to learn in the classroom. And they, like over 90% of students say, I use note-taking. Mm-hmm. So what impact does digital distraction have on note-taking, which is a strategy that most students use to learn in the classroom? And so that was the broad question that guided that research. Um, we wanted to see the impact that it was having on students' learning processes during class. And so some, some of your own research in the past showed that uh, digital distraction negatively impacted uh, the quantity of lecture ideas that students capture in their notes and subsequently hindered lecture learning based on a, a post-test when notes had been taking, uh, taken using a longhand paper-pencil method. Mm-hmm. Um, our recent study extended that by also looking at laptop note-taking. And so there's a lot of research out there that's trying to identify 
is or laptops more beneficial for note taking than than longhand notes and basically that research has shown it's too early to tell the results are inconsistent usually laptop users record more idea units and um, write in a more verbatim word-for-word fashion because they can record every idea that's presented on a PowerPoint slide or catch a fair amount of the words that just come out of an instructor's mouth where a longhand note taker um, can't write that fast so they might not capture all the words on a slide or every word that comes out of the instructor's mouth. And so we wanted to see if accounting for digital distraction might help clarify whether or not laptops or longhand note taking is more beneficial in today's contemporary classroom. Mm -hmm. Because all of the research to date that compared laptop and longhand note taking didn't account for digital distraction. And as I mentioned earlier, there's all that research that shows that college students are distracted. That's the context that learning takes place in. Mm -hmm. So if we want to understand student note taking in the classroom, we need to account for that so that way we can situate the research in a context that's aligned with the realities in college classrooms. Mm -hmm. And um, our study, you know, we had students view a 15 minute lecture on the topic of plate tectonic theory, take notes either using a laptop or a longhand medium, and then half the students in each medium either did or did not respond to text messages during the lecture. And then afterwards they took a post-test. And pretty consistent with the literature on laptop versus longhand, we didn't find any learning differences across the two note-taking mediums. Consistent with what I said earlier, it's probably still too early to tell if laptop or longhand is a better method to take notes during class. Mm -hmm. But what we did find, which was also consistent with past research, was that um, texters did more poorly than non-texters. So both of those things, neither of those findings are really surprising, right? And so the research on laptop and longhand was mixed. We basically found that that is, our findings were inconclusive. We can't determine which note-taking method is more superior. And we found that um, textures did worse than non-textures, and that's not all that surprising as well. But the, I think the key finding from our research is that the note-taking behaviors of laptop users became on par with longhand note-takers when the laptop users were distracted. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of students who bring their laptops with them to class because they feel like having a laptop to take notes makes it easier to capture idea units because I can type really fast and I can take down a, a bunch more so than I could if I was just writing. And then they believe that it subsequently makes it easier to learn during class. Findings from our study show that because laptop users are consistently distracted, as I mentioned earlier, uh, past research has shown that laptop users spend you know, upwards of 40 to 60 percent of a typical class period off task. So students were, so college students who bring laptops consistently become distracted by those laptops. And then the findings from our study showed that the note-taking behaviors of distracted laptop users is, well, it was actually worse than undistracted longhand note-takers. They recorded fewer um, complete idea units into their notes, so they, they wrote down, you know, if you were main topics, you know, so like the, the names of different tectonic plates mm -hmm. or te tectonic plate boundaries, uh, fewer examples, fewer supporting details like the strength of earthquakes associated with different plate boundaries, the names of plate boundaries, the depths of plate boundaries, you know, all of those details are important to make learning happen. Mm -hmm. Distracted laptop users recorded fewer of all of those than undistracted longhand note takers. And so our finding, our, our study, by taking digital distraction into account, I think paints a pretty accurate picture of what note-taking actually looks like mm 
in a contemporary classroom. And the takeaway there is that laptops probably aren't as helpful for learning as students believe they are because they lead to digital distraction so often. And our study showed that the hindrance there to learning probably comes from students' inability to record a complete set of notes mm -hmm. because they're using their laptops to you know, scroll through Instagram or Twitter or whatever they're doing nowadays. Yeah. So, so I want to delve in just for a second and talk about the, the theoretical reason why laptops might be beneficial. So, you know, sort of setting aside the digital distraction issue for just a moment. Mm -hmm. um, I think that a lot of people uh, in, you know, my generation, which is a little bit older than your generation, mm -hmm. when we think about laptop note taking, we just automatically go to the place that says that's not going to be as effective as handwritten notes because the act of handwriting it and thinking through what it is I'm gonna write down, so what we would call the encoding function of note-taking mm. is super important, right? And one of the things that I thought was really interesting in, in, in talking and working with you is learning what the theoretical advantage of laptop note-taking might be in certain circumstances. And you kind of talked about it already that they capture more idea units, but can you, why is that important? And why is it um, that, that laptops have do have some advantages over longhand note-taking in especially the external storage function of note-taking. Yeah, so just like you mentioned, um, there's two functions of note-taking. There's the encoding function, which proposes that the act of taking notes itself improves learning. Um, and it does so because, you know, as you sit there and take notes, you have to specifically attend to information, identify it as important, write it down, um, maybe paraphrase things, put information in your own words. And so the thought there is that just taking notes, whether or not you review those notes, taking notes just in itself boosts learning. And the research on that is kind of sketchy. What's more important is the external storage function where you take notes because it gives you a complete record of a lecture that you can then go back to and study. And so rather than just learn it on the fly one time, you've got that information captured, you know, examples that the instructor gave, key terms, definitions, everything mm -hmm. you record it and then you have it to review later to study and so some people would look at the fact that laptop users record more idea units into their notes which should mean that they have a more robust set of notes to study from later so they could review them and then um, commit better commit that information into memory and so i mean that would be the answer to the question that you posed mm -hmm. about what why might somebody um you know, in my generation, think that I should use laptops. Well, because it can give me a more complete set of notes. The problem there is that because um, laptop note takers tend to um, uh, transcribe ideas word for word, there's also um, some concern there that it's just more of like a mindless note taking. I'm just mm -hmm. writing down everything the instructor says, whether or not I think it's important or not. I get it down and then I have it. Whereas a longhand note taker has to be more deliberate because they can't write everything that comes up on the screen or that comes out of the instructor's mouth, and so they have to identify what's important, what's not important, take it down, write it down, and so they might have fewer idea units, but it's a more deliberate set of notes as opposed more to More depth just, of processing. Yeah, as opposed to just more shallow, mindless transcription. Mm -hmm. And so that more personal, deliberately recorded set of notes could be has been proposed by researchers to be more beneficial for learning. Mm -hmm. The problem is, that doesn't always emerge um, across all of the research. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> whether or not students are given time to review their notes after a lecture or not. Mm -hmm. So the problem there is probably because 
a lot of the studies just have one learning session, one review session, and then we're taking our test. Most instructors correctly encourage their students to review consistently throughout the semester. And so you've got, you know, hopefully you're reviewing multiple times a week, you're studying, you're doing your homework, and then you've got, you know, two or three weeks before the next test. And so you've mm -hmm. introduced yourself to the information multiple times as opposed to in the studies where it's just more of a one shot, pay attention in a lecture, review the notes, take the test. And mm -hmm. so future research is definitely gonna want to continue to situate the designs of the studies to align more with the realities of college classrooms. And so mm -hmm. here it might be that future research is gonna want to incorporate multiple review sessions to make it more aligned with what's going on right. inside of the class. One of the other things in this sort of nuanced, um, you know, theoretical argument about uh, laptop note-taking that I, that I thought was really fascinating is that you sort of make the argument that it depends on the type of information that's being presented in the class. And so specifically, there's a difference between whether the teacher is doing a sort of traditional lecture that is built upon oratory and prose mm -hmm. versus showing a visual image. What does that research say about laptop note-taking? And I guess also importantly, what did you find in the research study that you conducted with respect to the notes and how they reflected what was being shown on the screen? Sure, yeah, I mean, as far as image-related um, information, laptop users just virtually don't record any images whatsoever. So in the lecture that we did, um, it was on plate tectonic theory, and so there were a lot of visual aids that students could write down as far as, you know, what does a rift look like, or what does it look like um, a uh, divergent plate boundary, convergent mm -hmm. plate boundary. Those are pretty um, intuitive, the names, converging, diverging. Um, but some of the terms that we learned about, like a dip-slip fault or a strike-slip yeah. fault, you know, just going by the name there, you don't really know what that means. And so to have an image there to be able to refer back to, um, laptop users just the functionality of, of word or uh, google docs or any other application makes it really difficult to capture images mm -hmm. and so i mean uh, somebody listening to this podcast say well the student can just go back to look at um, the powerpoint slides that might be uploaded or go back and look at their textbook and all of that's true uh, the problem is that not all students do that i mean mm -hmm. as an instructor i know that um, a lot of the students don't go back and review the PowerPoint slides that I put online. And you know, conversations with students in uh, my classes and um, other instructors who I've, who I've taught or who, I, who I've worked with, I mean, getting students to do reading can be problematic sometimes. Yeah. And so getting them in the classroom and being able to get them to record a complete set of notes is pretty much the most direct way that we can be sure that our students are getting the information. We're not leaving it up to um, them to do all of the work outside of the classroom on their own. We want them to, but sometimes it's just not a reality. Um, and so if students, if the functionality of a word processing program makes it difficult for students to capture um, image-related information into their notes, then um, that is an area where laptops um, could hinder learning and we in our study we didn't find that mm -hmm. but again it was a pretty robust lecture and the students only had one review period and it was a pretty difficult test i'd imagine that and um, hopefully we will try to replicate the study again in the future but build upon the study with maybe um, more review periods like i mentioned earlier to see if the fact that this very image heavy lecture if the fact that laptop users weren't recording images into the notes, but longhand users were, 
if students can keep reviewing that information again and again and again, commit it to memory, then perhaps that might um, lead to more um, improved learning for longhand note takers relative to laptop users because, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know how I would take down an image of Microsoft Word. I don't think it has a paint function or anything. And so um, that's a certain definite limit of laptops that, um, depending on the course, I mean, if you're taking a history course, maybe there's not a lot of images, but if it's a math class or a science class, a geography class where there's a lot of image relevant um, learning that needs to take place, then laptop users could be at a hindrance and they don't even realize it because they think that this laptop's supposed to help me learn, but if they can't write down an image, then um, they could uh, be, by the eight ball, uh, be behind the eight ball a little bit. Yeah, I guess I, I have to say that um, as somebody that is a pretty rapid adopter of different new technologies, mm-hmm. um, when the iPad, and especially the newest generation of the iPad came out with the Apple Pencil, um, and you know, technologies like that basically where you have a stylus that you can write on it. I got really excited because I'm like, okay, the things that I don't like about note-taking on laptops and my other devices, which is, as you said, you can transcribe really well, but you can't do other things like draw pictures, mm-hmm. diagrams, that, that sort of thing. I thought, okay, it's it's changed enough now that I can use it the way that I would have used um, you know, my legal pad or my notebook paper. Mm-hmm. and. I still find that when I'm taking notes um, with my um, iPad, despite the fact that I have these tremendous resources that are very visually oriented in front of me, I don't find that I end up using them that much. Sure. And, and I and I think that you're, you know, for me personally, and I don't know if this would be true for other people, but I find that I spend more time trying to get the um, app to do what I want it to do than actually, it becomes itself a digital distraction. Right? Sure. And, and so I, I found that. and so. You know, uh, in meetings that I go to, I'll use it to take notes and, and do that quite regularly. But I, I, I can't help but think that if I was a student still, that I wouldn't go back to some of my more traditional tried and true methods of paper and pencil. And then thinking about how this other stuff might fit into that workflow, you know, and and that's that's really interesting because I think we have many more options for taking notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure that any of those options have necessarily become the best way to do it, you know, for any given learner, it really becomes sort of an amalgamation of those in some respects. Mm-hmm. Before we leave the topic of um, digital distractions and note taking, I want to ask this question. So if you were giving advice to um, a, your child or an incoming student, what's the best way to set yourself up for success in a class and maybe for all your classes with respect to being there, being attentive and being well-prepared to take notes that will help you. What are some of the advice points that you would give? Um, So just playing the averages, I would imagine that that student would believe that the laptop, they just inherently believe, unless I would expose them to the research, which I, I certainly would, I would um, first, if I had a, a, a student who I was working with, and this, I mean, I've, I've had this in classes where I've taught, I've had students who were struggling to learn. The first class that I taught was an academic success class. Mm-hmm. So I'll answer this question by telling you about how I worked with those students. Right? And so a lot of those students were struggling, and they'd say, I'd go to, I'll go to class, I'll do the reading, but I just can't, I just can't learn it. it nothing's, nothing sticks. I just don't know what I'm doing wrong. And so then I'll ask them, so how are you trying to learn during class? And they'll say that they take notes. And a lot of them like to type their notes. And so this academic success class that I taught was geared towards um, lower achieving students to help them succeed academically. And a lot of them would 
take notes on their laptop because they believed that it would be helpful. But as I mentioned earlier, the laptop becomes distracting. I don't think that students realize how distracting it really is mm -hmm. or the impact that those distractions have on their learning. And so in that class, I made a point to introduce students to the literature on laptop versus, uh, I'm sorry, on digital distractions. So they could see just how impactful it can be on, on one lecture, the relationships between digital device use and cumulative GPA or final course grades. And when students started to see that empirical data, I think it started to, to change their minds and their opinions a little bit about just how beneficial laptops are. Now, at the beginning of all of my classes, the first day on that syllabus day, I introduced my technology policy and I introduced students to the literature to essentially sell it to them to make myself more credible as to here's my technology policy, which is, you know, no cell phones. You can use laptops to take notes, but if I suspect that you're off task, you know, then I can take away that, that, that privilege. And I think that introducing students to literature, I think is really eye-opening for a lot of them. And once students realize the impact that digital distraction can have on their learning, I think that they're pretty good at making adjustments on the fly on their own. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen students in, in my class who, you know, were struggling, always had the laptop out. Maybe they, um, I even think of a, of a stats class that I taught um, last semester and a couple of students who pretty good right away, but you got a little more difficult and they started to withdraw a little bit. And I just reminded them of that, of that research, kind of asked them about it. I was like, what are you doing in class? It seems like maybe you're kind of you know, pulling yourself away and they're talking, well, what's hard? And so sometimes I just kind of basically just give up. And so when you kind of, ref when I refresh their memory a little bit about like, well, you're, you're sabotaging yourself and I don't want you to do that. And they want students to become aware of how their behavior can impact their learning. Then I think that they're pretty good at making the adjustments because everybody wants to do well for the most part. Students want to succeed. Um, even if they're not inherently interested in the material, it just feels good if you feel competent like you're doing well. Mm -hmm. And so that first step for me is always to introduce students to the literature or to reintroduce them to the literature if they um, start to get off because I feel like they have that clear frame of mind about what's actually happening, how their behavior impacts their learning, then I think that they can adjust on the fly. Um, when I was teaching that academic success class, um, other recommendations that I gave to students were to you know, leave, the, lab, leave the, the cell phone either in your bag or at best just leave it back in your dorm. There's usually no good academic reason to use your cell phone during class unless an instructor is going to use like poll everywhere, which you can mm -hmm. still use on your laptop. Um, and most students have laptops. Mm -hmm. and, and so I would always just default to you don't need the, you don't need the cell phone. It's probably just going to distract you during class. If you have an emergency that you're waiting for, then sure, have it with you. But if you're not waiting for an emergency call from back home, then leave the, leave the cell phone at home because that's just one less distraction that you have to worry about during class. And usually students agree that that's something that they probably should do. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't want to. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't want to if I get to the office and I realize I left my phone at home. I feel anxious. You know, yeah, you feel like you yeah. left. You know, you're walking around like your, your arm is missing or something because yeah. you're so used to it. And so I can't blame them for not wanting to do that, but... The students in that academic success class who, um, as the semester went on, I know I keep checking up with them, you know, seeing, you know, how are you doing, what strategies are you using? And the ones who would say, you know, I just started leaving my phone at home, a lot easier to pay attention during class. You know, if you don't have anything else to do but pay attention, then you pay attention. Mm -hmm. And then for the students who like to take notes um, on their laptop, you know, disable and turn off your Wi-Fi when you go into class. You know, because at that point, it's more of a willpower type deal. You know, right. can you... 
overcome the urge to check social media. The first step you can do is to just disable your Wi-Fi. And in an academic success class, the students who went ahead and did that reported they were able to take more complete notes. They were able to follow along with lectures, you know, new answers to questions, you know, asked questions. So, because if you get distracted, you get pulled away from the activities of the class. So it's not just that you just take fewer notes. You're not answering questions when the instructor poses them. You're not asking questions. You're probably not um, interacting with your peers during small group work if you're just on your phone the whole time. And, mm-hmm. um, and we, I see that quite often. If I, I most often lecture for a short period of time and then put students into small groups. Mm-hmm. And um, the students who might seem to be off task during lectures, they're usually the ones who seem to be off task during small group work too. You know, their right. group might be working and they'll be the bystander off on the side, maybe just smiling, nodding along, but for the most part looking at their phone. You go over there, address the behavior, Hopefully it fixes it, but you know, typically those students who are prone to digital distraction are going to be prone to it regardless of the context that they're in. And so, I think that instructor. I know you asked me about recommendations for students, but I think that if instructors were to provide a varied array of activities for students, and if those students you know didn't have their laptops with the Wi-Fi turned on or didn't bring their devices with them to class, if the students just made more of an attempt to be self-regulated and deliberate about their device use than for instructors to provide them with a varied array of instructional activities besides just lectures, that's going to engage more students based on, I'm not going to say their learning styles, but um, you might be more prone to hit on students who are um, either introverts, extroverts, give them learning activities that they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And if you can help them identify ways to personally minimize the impact digital distraction has on their learning, then you kind of take back control over your classroom environment as opposed to just leave it up to the students to figure it out for themselves by introducing them to the literature on that first day and then providing recommendations that I know have worked for my students in the past and making those suggestions to students, I think you give them a little more power, a little more control. And I think, I mean, based on what my students say in evaluations or just interactions with me, because I make this a point in all of my classes, I think I've done a pretty good job of being able to minimize its presence in my class. It'd be foolish to say that I completely eradicate it. I mean, that's just, I mean, Every technology is just, it permeates everything that we do. Mm-hmm. And so, but I do my best to minimize it. And I think that being proactive about it as an instructor empowers the students, which then I think um, helps take control of the situation better than um, if I were to just leave the students completely up to themselves to self-regulate it and to figure it out as they go on the fly, which there's research that basically shows that instructors fall into one of two camps. There's the camp who believes that I need to protect the integrity of the learning environment, so I will you know, have course policies against digital distraction, but I'll also try to make efforts to help students understand how to overcome this temptation. Then you have the other camp who essentially says, I'm just here to pass along information to help my students learn, um, to teach them content, and it's their decision whether or not they want to get on their devices. You know, This isn't kindergarten, I don't yeah. need to uh, be the police officer in the classroom and if you want to get off task and if you want to hurt your learning then so be it and so instructors need to figure out which of those two camps they fall in hopefully the former where yeah. you know you feel the need to protect the quality of the learning environment because as you mentioned earlier if I get off task if I'm uh, you know scrolling, scrolling through watching videos or something on my laptop or if I'm you know 
looking at something comical. That's going to grab somebody's attention, and it's going to distract them too. So if an instructor were to just ignore the problem and hope that the students could figure out themselves, if student A is distracted, odds are they're also going to distract student B, and it's going to spread around a little bit. And so by empowering the students to have strategies to overcome the temptation, then I think that you can get under control for all the students in the class mm-hmm. better than um, if they were left to their um, own devices, so to speak. No pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, uh, you've already talked about this, but you know, one of the one of the areas of research that you're um, that you've already done some work in, but you're moving into, and some of the work we're doing together is that is the topic of. Um, uh, uh, I'm losing the word, the R word. Rapport? Uh, yeah, rapport yeah. between the teacher and the student. And you've actually just described sort of the process that you use to establish rapport on this topic mm-hmm. with your student. But I but I think importantly, that all boils down to the fact that you're being open, honest, and straightforward with your students, not in a dictatorial way, but you're really having mm-hmm. a discussion with them about how technology fits into their lives in the context of your class. And I can tell you that um, one of the reasons why I think that type of dialogue is so important is that when I talk with alumni of you know our college or university about you know what what is it that you know current students should be learning so that they'll be ready for the workforce, they will oftentimes talk about, having basic communication skills and when you say well what do you mean by that it's like they'll say things like don't be on the phone (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know and and so this issue of having rapport and establishing rapport on this topic with students is really important because yeah i could be that second teacher that just says i'm just going to be here and do my thing and Mm -hmm. it's up to them well we're missing an important teaching opportunity um if we don't have that talk with Mm -hmm. the students and it doesn't have to be a talk about rigid rules but you know as you're doing it can be a talk about you know what's you know how can you be smart and use this in a way that's productive um, and not let it interfere with what your task is whether it's learning doing well on your job having a great date with somebody or whatever Mm -hmm. right yeah for sure you know all those things are relevant so well uh, abraham um I wish you the best of luck with the research that you're doing. Thank you very much. Um, And I think it's really important. And I think the biggest thing I learned in working with you is that all of this is incredibly more nuanced than I think we initially think that it is, that Mm -hmm. it's not a black and white, that there are reasons why laptop note-taking does benefit students in some cases, but it's not across the board one way or the other. And I think that that nuance is what's really important. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I wanted to focus in on the podcast. So I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, sure. And and I'd just like to reiterate, you know, so like our work on laptop and longhand note-taking, I think it's important because it provides more of a real-world context for how students are taking notes during class. And so, like I mentioned, the previous studies just looked at laptop and longhand note-taking without accounting for distraction. If we know that the digital distraction is as prominent as it is, then I would encourage researchers who are concerned with college classroom learning or K through 12 classroom learning, well, hopefully not kindergartners are on their phones, but I mean, <laughs> who, know. Know, yeah, who knows nowadays, <laughs> but that if you want your research to accurately reflect the realities of certainly the college classroom, um, I'm a college level researcher and you know, middle school, junior high and high school classrooms as well then I would recommend that digital distraction should, researchers should try to identify ways to account for digital distraction. What um, 
do we need to consider in order to accurately capture the real, actual realities of students' lived experiences in classrooms? Because if we're just doing kind of a more sterile laboratory study where we're just manipulating some variables and seeing what happens, unless you're actually trying to situate your study in a context that is aligned with how students learn, what, what classrooms actually feel like and look like today, then I think that your studies are missing a pretty important ingredient that might be able to help shed some more informative light on your research questions and on your findings than if you just assume that distraction isn't taking place because it certainly is um, in college classrooms and, and high school classrooms and, and on down. And so um, I think that this is an important, I'll call it phenomenon, but I think when I hear the word phenomenon, I think it's something that's kind of just flared up for a little while. Fleeting, it's going to yeah. get fleeting yeah. and more fleeting. But I don't think the digital distraction is, ne is necessarily fleeting because mobile technology is just growing in prominence in our daily lives. And I think it's just going to become more and more important for researchers to consider as we go forward. I mean, arguably, you know, mobile technology is, is um, a uniquely cross-cultural human characteristic now. Mm -hmm. I mean, for sure. you know, there, there, are, there are still a few cultures where mobile technology wouldn't be a part of it, but you literally have to go into the Amazon. Yeah, that's tough to find, yeah. And so, you know, it's something that regardless of whether you're in um, Abu Dhabi, um, the United States, Great Britain, I mean, any, I mean, the same issue is there. Students have phones, and, mm -hmm. and so that's something that we as teachers, as researchers, have to take into consideration because it's a part of the environment that the genie's out of the bottle and will never be put back in. Mm -hmm, for sure. Hey, thanks for being here. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been fun. So my guest today is Dr. Abraham Flanagan, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Curriculum, Foundations, and Reading at Georgia at Southern University. Abraham has been actively researching the topic of digital, digital distractions, which he spoke with us about today. Thank you for listening to Teaching Matters, produced by WOUB Public Media. You can always listen at woub.org slash listen. We're also available through several popular podcasting apps, including Google Play, iTunes, and NPR One. Our audio engineer is Adam Rich, and I'm your host, Scott Titsworth. Thank you for listening.